0: Spirituality, the way I define it, is connectedness. Connectedness, connectedness. connectedness to self and outside of self. Connectedness. For some people, that includes a divine. For some people, it doesn't. Connectedness. I talk a lot, for example, about the four existential fears. We're really driven by our fear of meaninglessness, fear of isolation, fear of death, fear of freedom. Meaninglessness.
1: Isolation. Death. Freedom. Freedom.
0: <laughs> It's like their spiritual house came down with some kind of deconstruction, but the scaffolding, all the ways of thinking Mormon, are still there. And so they'll get stuck because they're trying to kind of rebuild their own spiritual home again after it kind of crumbles, but then all the old scaffolding is still there. Meaninglessness,
1: isolation, death, freedom.
0: I have a master's degree in theology and the future of American religion. I've written a book on Mormon philosophy. I've just really been playing in this space of religion and theology and what is real and and spirituality. And I guess now where I like to play is this space of secular spirituality, which is this approach of how can I get these spiritual tools? with as little demands of belief as possible. Like, how do I get the present without the Santa? Maybe we need to play a different game. Maybe the game we need to play is how can I build a meaningful, spiritual, rich, transcendent, beautiful, flourishing life when I don't know ultimate reality?
1: This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. You want someone to preach to? You? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. What do you? Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with, with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy anything this world of money.
2: Look for the good in everything. Look for the people who will set your soul free. It always seems impossible until it's done. Look for the good in everyone.
1: All right, welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostlund, and this is episode 823, No-Nonsense Spirituality with Britt Hartley. And hopefully it's a part one. Now, some of you may know Britt from Almost Awakened, where she podcasts with Bill Real. This was my first time talking with Britt, and I really hope that it won't be my last. Today we talk about what it means to be a spiritual atheist, basically. And it was a lot of fun. So... With no further ado, <laughs>
2: and
1: on on this a ride in the wilderness. But that doesn't mean that I'm gonna change anything else about what I'm doing. <laughs> it's <laughs> just it's recording now.
0: Yeah. So okay.
1: so, Britt, thank you for reaching out uh to come on Infants on Thrones. I feel like Infants on Thrones is uh this um uh, it's drying up like whatever whatever water used to be in infants on thrones I don't know how much left I've got in me for the infants mm. on thrones stuff but I'm I'm interested in spirituality but you know like infants on thrones and, and we were talking before we started recording that You you didn't you kind of missed the infants on thrones phase because you were you had processed your stuff before I I
0: missed it in its high day. Yeah. By the time you were like really, I mean, all over Reddit. It was like everybody, you've got to listen to this podcast. By the time you were in that place, I had already done a lot of my processing. So timing-wise, we missed each other. But I'm in the same space as you is like, I don't know if I wanted to stay there forever, where like you binge. Hours and hours and hours about Mormon history and polygamy and the whole thing, and eventually I just got into a place where I was really curious about what's next. Yeah. What 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 does healthy spirituality look like after this? And and, I, and so I've been hanging out in that place. I can't
1: wait to hear more about it. I'll tell you for, for me, there were a lot of things that kind of shifted for me. But one, I'm I'm a big Jonathan Haidt fan. I love the Righteous Mind. That was really influential on me. And then the Coddling of the American Mind. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Book or not. But during parts of that book, um, his co author, Greg Lukianoff, was talking about cognitive distortions. And I'd never heard that terminology before, that just different ways that we think, these habits of thinking that distort reality in certain ways. And it just like something clicked for me. And I thought, what? what happened to me being raised mormon like how what was the influence of mormonism on cognitive distortions that i still carry that it's not really about mormonism at all it's about like am i catastrophizing situations uh, am i like a black and white thinker and i don't see nuances yeah. am i discounting the positive 100% when i'm having conversations and so i started going more into like clinical mental health and life coaching, and then spirituality became less icky to me because I understood the, like, mental psychological aspects of Mm -hmm. spirituality. So I'll shut up now and let you.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I work now as a spiritual director. So um, it's like this kind of niche A part of therapy where we really dig into, you know, your beliefs and deeper things, death and meaning, and and all these things. And I see what you're talking about. Where I meet with largely Mormon-ish clients, wherever they are on that spectrum, and they'll have gone to therapy, but if unless the therapist was Mormon in some way, it's like. It's like their spiritual house came down with some kind of deconstruction, but the scaffolding, all the ways of thinking Mormon are still there. And so they'll get stuck because they're trying to kind of rebuild their own spiritual home again after it kind of crumbles. But then all the old scaffolding is still there and until you can deconstruct, oh... I'm really searching for truth obsessively because of this old pattern that if I just know the truth, then I'll know how to pattern right. my life, right. right? Or whatever the thing is, like, it, it really affects how our brain functions. And so you have to often go deeper than just working with a therapist. You'll have to go into, like, that scaffolding into your brain yeah. in order to really deconstruct that and build something new. Like, that's what spiritual reconstruction is all about, is how can we use these tools to... Build a spiritual space that really feels like home to you. Yeah. And how do we do that without, you know, we have to work with all the triggers, we have to work with all the old scaffolding, but that's really the place that I love to play now. And it's so true, though, that really getting into those brain patterns um is is the deeper level of that deconstruction like that's that's not just like learning about the history that's like how did this affect my brain how did this create me how do i process
1: information
0: Uh, Or even just the realization that, oh, I'm not viewing objective reality. Like none of us (laughs) (laughs) are participating or interacting with ultimate reality, right? And then you got to take in that heavy piece and then say, okay, how did how I was raised affect my biases and how I view reality? And how can I shift that so that I can create essentially a life worth living?
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right, well I'm going to come I'm going to come back and ask you more about that objective reality question in a second. But for for listeners of Infants on Thrones who don't know you from Almost Awakened and and what what other podcasts do you do?
0: I just do Almost Awakened with Bill. Okay.
1: Bill Real. But but you've got your website is um No Nonsense Spirituality.
0: Mm-hmm. Is that
1: a podcast as well or that's just nope. your That's just, yeah,
0: that's just my kind of landing page. If people listen to the podcast, you want to do coaching, I I have a course or two on there. Um, And so that's where people will find me if they want to talk to me directly.
1: All right. So, so give a little bit of your background and just, you know, so people know who you are and then we'll go into like the fun bits of the conversation. Not that that's not fun, Britt. I'm not saying, I'm not saying (laughs) anything bad about your background.
0: I'll do this as brief as possible. I don't want to give one of those Mormon stories eight hours, you know, of my life. But basically, I was born and raised LDS. Um, I had a bit of a faith crisis at about the age of sixteen when the First mm-hmm. Strength of Youth pamphlet came out, and I just really just, in my body, just it just came out as rebellion. Like I just couldn't handle this, um, and no one could answer my questions. Anyway, it ended up. That rebellion ended up with me being kicked out of my home.
2: Wow. And I
0: was, uh, I just really had this idea, like I said, that if I could just figure out what is going on in this universe, like what is happening here, then I'll be able to like order my life the way that I'm supposed to. And so that took me, you know, on a 20, 30 now year journey. Uh, I have a master's degree in theology and the future of American religion. I've written a book on Mormon philosophy Um, Because that was kind of a part of my journey. I've been a seminary teacher. I've, um, I've just really been playing in this space of religion and theology and what is real and, and spirituality. And as I went, I kind of was always deconstructing as I go and had many dark nights of the soul along the way. And I guess now where I like to play is this space of secular spirituality, which is this approach of how can I get these spiritual tools with as little demands of belief as possible? Like, how do I get the present without the Santa? And I really- (laughs) I really I love, love this approach, and it's not because I'm the kind of atheist that like I know for sure there's no God, and I'm gonna you know come in here and like Christopher Hitchens and just like bludgeon people with my intellect it's It's more about an intellectual humility that I was also a history teacher, and I'm looking at this and we have so many gods. There's like 10,000 gods that have already died and are no longer being worshiped. And eventually I just kind of accepted, you know what? I think we're bad at this game, this this game of like, what is ultimate reality and what is God and what does God want of us? And what is God thinking? We're just bad at it. And so I was like, but there's so much like in a in a religion there's awe and transcendence and there's rituals and there's community and there's love and there's inspiration how do i get all that how do i how do i build that into my life without having to know things that we just really don't know and that we're bad at. And so that's just kind of my approach to spirituality now, which is why my website is no-nonsense spirituality. It's it's not that I'm trying to convince you there's no God. It's It's that I'm trying to get as many, I'm trying to help you build that spiritual home with as few, you know, hoops to jump through as possible because I just think we're bad at that game.
1: All right. Well, you've said we're bad at that, I think, four or five times. And each time you did, I'm like, ah, so what would it look like to be good at it? What <laughs> and and then with the title of your your website, No Nonsense Spirituality, I'm also really curious to know what is nonsense spirituality? Like what would you consider nonsense to be in the spiritual realm? And that might that might go to that question of like what's good or bad and how we process that. So I, I've got a, I've got a list of things that I want to like read to you and ask you kind of like quiz you these questions. And it might kind of come up in the course of that, but first I'm, I'm really interested to know. Like what would make it good? And and what is nonsense? So I'll go here.
0: I'll kind of, I'll I'll go this direction to answer this because this is kind of on the fly here. So in science, when we're kind of getting a sense of something in science, we have something called like multiple discoveries, which means we're kind of accessing this, whatever it is, law of gravity from multiple directions. We make more sense of it as we go. Um, The thing with religion, though, is that it's not happening with religion. We've been doing religion for at least 100,000 years, maybe 200,000 years. So we've been doing religion for at least tens of thousands of years. But the truths are not converging as far as ultimate truths, as far as this is what's happening in the universe. This is the ultimate story. And I think the reason that that is is because at the root of a lot of our religious desires is to have something to soften the blow of what it means to be human and be thrown into a world of chaos that we don't understand. And so I talk a lot, for example, about the four existential fears. We're really driven by our fear of meaninglessness, fear of isolation, fear of death, fear of freedom. And so all religions quote unquote work or are quote unquote right, because they all kind of help us soften that blow, right? They all help us with these spiritual tools. They all help us with meaning and community and ritual and all these things. And so it's a different kind of true, right? We're not, none of the religions are converging really on anything, even Christianity itself. There's only two things in the whole history of Christianity that all Christians believed. And it's that Jesus was coming in their lifetime and that they were wrong. That's it. (laughs) Like it changes so much. Right. And so I just had this, this point of intellectual humility of like, I don't, I'm not sure that we're really getting anywhere with the, with these questions that we're asking about ultimate reality and religion. And I think This subjective kind of feeling game that we play where because I feel this, therefore, I know for sure that this is heaven and this is hell and this is the story and this is the God. Um, when When you see that story just be so different across time, you begin to think, you know what, maybe... Maybe we need to play a different game. Maybe we, mm. maybe the game we need to play is how do I build a meaningful life when I don't know ultimate reality? When I don't know what consciousness is, because that's the big mystery right now in science and religion. What is consciousness? How did it come from matter? So how can I build a meaningful, spiritual, rich, transcendent, beautiful, flourishing life and not know these things? Because When you look at our history and our attempts at this question, we're just really all over the place. And it seems to be that we're doing this because we're just trying to soften, again, the blow of just what it means to be human. Hmm. Thoughts?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot in there that, uh, wow. Um, Yeah, give me a minute to process that, Brett. I, one of the questions that I had I think you answered it though as as you were talking I was cuz you were saying that religion really hasn't worked and I'm thinking well what would it look like if it did work and I think your answer to that question is that we would have meaningful lives without a sense of certainty like we we would be okay with not knowing so the the existential questions that you talked about those four different areas they wouldn't create angst that'd be accepted and we'd like yeah we don't know we don't know any of those things and it's okay and it's cool and so there's kind of like this inner peace that comes from not knowing instead of uh this desperate attempt at like oh this is the new best real thing oh wait no new this is the new best real thing kind of like letting go of that and just living i'm thinking what do you yeah, think about just, that, I mean,
0: even in Christianity, every couple of decades, there's a new kind of Christian God, right? It changes in some way, even within you know, even in within one Christian tradition. And so, yeah, it's really kind of letting go of that and saying, how can we get the benefits? Because you look at something like rituals and rituals scientifically help us to process things. So if you just take a group of people, they've done studies on this, you take a group of people and you say, someone's gonna win $200 and they give someone $200 and they leave the room. The rest of the group, you know, there's a control group and they just have to kind of write out their feelings of how disappointed that they were, what they would have done with their money, with the money. And they kind of rate how, how, how they're feeling. And then in the experimental group, they make up a ritual, you know, write out your feelings, put some salt on it, turn around three times and throw it in a fire. They essentially make up a ritual for them, but after they do the ritual, they report, you know, I'm over it. It's going to be fine. You know, I, I'm not really upset that I didn't win the money. And so there's all kinds of these little tricks, uh, placebos or tools, there's different words here, but there's all kinds of like that that are embedded in religion. And so essentially what we're trying to do right now in society, especially with the kind of threat of fundamentalism is how do we separate the baby from the bathwater? How do we get rituals and rites of passage and uh it's so beautiful in the Jewish community when someone dies there's these intense um rituals for like the first week that per- the person who's grieving doesn't have to talk and then in the weeks after uh they have to go to work but only half the time and then in the months after they have you know they're kind of invited to come back into the full society and it it's structured into the community we're going to help you and hold you through this death thing because we know that it's really hard those are extraordinarily helpful and so religions Because they're they're so powerful and they've lasted so long because they just have thousands of tools like that embedded into the system. But the stories and the, the truths and the hoops that you go through about ultimate reality are just becoming harder and harder to believe as we become so global. And as we begin to learn so much about science and history and all these things. And so the goal right now, and kind of this zeitgeist that I'm interested in is how do we separate this baby from the bathwater so that uh, people who are leaving religion, this growing group of nuns, um, they have a danger on the other side, which is that you've removed yourself and your children from a lot of tools that may be helpful to replace.
1: Yeah. And I, and I, how, how, do, how would I know a religion if I came across one? Like if, 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 I, if I had grown up on a desert island in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> never been around people at all, and I come into society, how would I know if I was getting involved in a religion?
0: Yeah, that's a good one because there's some societies where it's so embedded in the culture that you really don't even know that it's a religion until you kind of go outside of it. But
1: I've worked uh, for a corporation before that I would yeah. argue has, is, <laughs> or, is religious
0: or cults, or cults. You know, you, you know. can do the you can do the same thing with cults. You know, there's like there's uh the LuLaRoe cult and like there's the cult of CrossFit and keto and whatever and you know, there's all kinds of cults that, you know, this is not just religious. Um, Essentially for religion, the definition I like to use is religion is kind of the tool that you're using for how you're orienting yourself in the universe. And so it's just this, and and so I don't think there's necessarily anything inherently wrong with religion. And I think there's some religions that are healthier than others. And it's just, you know, you're, we're thrown into chaos uh, we don't really fully know what's going on. And so however you're orienting yourself tech, you know, some people will call that religion. I've seen that definition used in, in kind of spiritual spaces. And then for cults, you know, you kind of look at the bite model. How, how is this, is this group controlling my behavior and the information? And um, you just kind of look at the level of control happening, but the, the, the truth that people don't like to say is that cults and religions feel good, right? It's it's that sense of order in chaos. It feels really good to be in a cult. You're right. You know everything about everything. You know what's going to happen next. It feels really secure and safe. Um, and so what I I'm trying to do is for this growing group of nuns, um they're really craving that order and security and sense of morality and sense of you know religions especially something like judaism that's old they have these calendars that just kind of give you a rhythm and heartbeat to your life and when you don't have that it can feel it can feel like chaos for people who are leaving churches it's like the first breath is really freeing but the last breath is like I'm terrified. What do I do now? Like, there's endless possibilities. That's paralyzing, and so, um, I don't know if that answers your question, but in it's well, something you... that we crave, right? It's something that we crave because we want to be balanced between order and chaos, and religion really gives us a lot of that order piece.
1: Yeah, I, I'll I'll tell you, I, the the word religion I find really problematic, and and kind of for for. Like you, you stated earlier that there's a problem when people leave religion, that they're also leaving behind the tools that that religion provides. And um, I, I think that when people leave religion, they think that they're leaving religion, but they're not. Mm. <laughs> because religion is everywhere. Religion is re- religion is more like an internal kind of thing of, am I going to allow myself to uh, just follow blindly what somebody else says um, instead of having like critical thinking skills. Am, Am I, you know, it...
0: Yeah, so in the way that you're defining it there, you're kind of defining religion as this kind of organized structure. And so you think that you're re- leaving religion and you and I probably know people like this like they'll leave Mormonism and they'll go ahead first into fundamentalist Christianity or they're an atheist but like Sam Harris is just essentially the new exactly. prophet, right? Exactly. You you haven't left religion, you've just changed religions or And secular politics, humanism
1: becomes secular your new religion
0: or or the politics of the left You know, I've seen that move where, like, all of a sudden, yeah, just Bill Maher is just your new prophet. And so, you and when we were talking before about the structures of the brain, that's why it's so important that when you're deconstructing, you don't just stop at deconstructing you know, the history of whatever religion you come from, you've got to deconstruct deeper than that, or your brain is essentially primed for the next cult, for the next religion, for the next prophet to tell you, oh, you don't know what to do with your life, go this way. Here's my 12 step path or whatever the thing is. Yeah. And so you have to deconstruct deeper than that to say, oh, I'm clinging on to the words of this person because I'm feeling fear. And if I can just sit with my fear and name and face my fear, then I won't be so clingy. The next time I hear, you know, some Sam Harris person and it's like, Oh, okay. He has all the answers. So I'll just be one of those minions. And so it's, it's, it's a part, it's, it's that deeper deconstruction that gives you the freedom to say, I know my fears, I face them. And I'm not, you know, you're essentially kind of undoing the, the cult and the religious framework that still exists in your brain, even after you leave an organized religion.
1: Yeah. So how do you, how do you do that and still hold on to like community rituals that have the kind of power that you were talking about before?
0: Yeah, so this is the question that nobody's really answered yet. So I know a lot of people, and Bill and I talk to a lot of people in the secular spirituality space. And this is the problem that nobody has figured out yet. And it may be too early. And here's why most of the people, or a lot of the people, leaving religion are very triggered. Right, There's religious trauma, there's pain, there's betrayal, there's all the things. And so to get that group of people to buy into, hey, I'm going to show up at the local YMCA and I'm going to pay money for meditation classes or whatever, that group may be too triggered and traumatized to make that move. It may not happen until the next generation. Maybe all our generation could do is just kind of process some of this stuff and then leave the next question to the next generation to figure out. So it may be that that it's too early, but I talked to a lot of people about how do we do this? And it's essentially, you almost have to wait until it's not working for you, or you're missing something, or you're homesick for something. And then you're essentially having to build that up yourself. And that is not easy. And so people who leave religion and just think that they have, like, they're so much smarter than everyone else. It took 2000 years for Christianity to become what it is the idea that you could just, oh, I'm just going to like create a community and create rituals for my children and have a book that we all read together and all my friends read together. The idea that you're going to do that from scratch in a couple of years, is just a little bit naive. There's a lot there, not to scare anyone, um, but I, I do think it's deeper than just, oh, I left the religion, so I'm good now. Like, no, there was you know, there's still some work to do. There's still some things to do in order to move into a place where you feel like you've replaced the tools that you've left behind, which is a really beautiful journey. It's it's a journey into your own authenticity.
1: Yeah. All right. But, well, yeah.
0: Nobody's figured out that question yet. We're all just kind of we're all just kind of playing. I've seen secular churches that come up and say, like, yeah. you know, we're going to do church, but it's going to be different and we're not going to require any belief. The problem is you get get the problems of the other side, which is that there's nothing drawing these people together. Yeah, And so um it's a problem it's 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 things are either too ordered and too rigid or they're so like we're going to be the opposite of religion and it's like okay but that's its own set of problems you have a group of people that's not really bonded together
1: mm-hmm. you have a group
0: of people that aren't going to contribute financially which means the people who are leading it are going to have to do it from their own pocket when religions just have billions of dollars right so it the some more than others of, yeah some more than others so <laughs> the question of how to balance that um nobody's fully figured out yet that out yet lots of people are trying people are trying to do that individually and i think it's something that we'll figure out but it's like this pendulum swing like we went from really really structured and religious and there's this kind of swing to like rejection of that and it may take time for us to balance out and realize hey actually gathering with people on a certain day that's not inherently bad maybe we can do this but we just may be too triggered to try that right now just kind of as especially as a post-mormon community
1: yeah all right well now i'm really i'm i'm so curious to see how you would respond to these these questions so so These are questions. I've used these for uh, surveys that I've done just for listeners of Infants on Thrones. I I also use these um, when I have my own life coaching clients come in. I ask them these questions because I want to get a sense of where they're at in these kinds of issues. So if you can remember the answers, it's basically like a five point scale where the extremes Mm -hmm. are on either Mm -hmm. end and the middle one is is neutral. So you either strongly agree, mostly agree. You're ambivalent, unsure, really don't have any opinion, or you slightly disagree, or you strongly disagree.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. So meditation is a healthy practice. What would you say?
0: Yeah, I'm going to go strongly agree for that one. Tell me why. There's something that just can't replace the freedom that comes from recognizing that you are not your thoughts. Mm. There's just really no replacement for that that I found really anywhere else. You can do psychedelics to kind of glimpse into that, but it's not going to really change your life until you until you kind of do it in your daily life. Um, but just that idea that this kind of ticker tape of nonsense that my brain is just streaming all the time, most of it with a negative bias, most of it um, just unhelpful, <laughs> blah, 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 nonsense. Um, There's just such beautiful space that comes from finding a space where you can watch your thoughts. And you can make I I really think that's, that's the gateway to be able to make true choices yeah. is like i'm recognizing that i'm having some angry thoughts or some jealous thoughts okay what message does that have to say to me oh it's telling me that i'm jealous because spring something up from a past relationship oh i'm going to choose this course of action that move you know it just takes a second or two but that move of Instead of being the thought, which I'm going right. to react and watching the thought and making a choice, is really the most freedom that us humans have.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we could spend a long time talking just about <laughs> this one. Yeah. I, I I had this uh, conversation with a client of mine the other day where we were talking about uh, because when we first started coaching, she she didn't she, like she knew she'd heard people describe it this way: "You're not your thoughts." but didn't really know what the experience of that was like because it's it's like if if you choose anger for example or jealousy you know you mentioned a couple of different emotions that could come up if if you are feeling that so strongly it's like you're looking through the eyes of the anger or you're looking through the eyes of the jealousy and you just feel it everywhere in your body whereas observing it you like step out and it's almost like you're watching yourself get angry but you're Mm -hmm. not seeing it through your eyes you're seeing it through like this detached observer eye and maybe maybe that space between where you are as an observer and where you would be if you were like seeing it first person maybe like a first person to third person kind of experience Mm -hmm. there still might be some feelings that you Feel. So you're not totally out of the feeling because it's still happening in your yeah, body. You
0: don't you don't turn into a robot. You right. just get a little bit more freedom. It's it's right. like getting off the roller coaster of the emotions that just yeah. come up on you. You know, we none of us we're having a conversation and you say, I don't know. F you, I hate you or something. And like my emotions are just going to do what they're going to do. And so it's really a roller coaster that you are on all the time. And it's this step of getting off and saying, I can get off this roller coaster at any time. Yeah, That's just a lot of freedom. So I'm going to say strongly agree for sure.
1: And and how, how do you... How do you have that conversation with somebody who really doesn't have the experience of being able to observe their thoughts objectively? They've only experienced what it's like to be in it first person. So like they might nod and go, okay, yeah, I know what you're saying, but they've never actually had that experience of it. uh, That's the tricky, like I would love to to help people go here, let me, let me take you away from the experience so you can turn around and look at it and see it. And and then how do we grow this objective? You know, like this objective yeah. space so you can become more of a neutral observer of your thoughts. And and as you become more neutral, you become more powerful, empowered on yes. being able to make those choices
0: being able to step off the roller coaster yeah. of emotion is really the only superpower that's like available to us as humans but it is i think a superpower you just it have is. a lot more choice as far as how to tap into that especially for someone who just hasn't sat with their thoughts because it's it's hard to s- sit on a mat when you're when your brain when you, your brain's going crazy um there's a yeah sometimes i can get through it with with a body thing so i'll ask someone how how would you explain how you're feeling so mm. if i'm working with someone it would be you know draw up a a memory of something that you were really angry really jealous whatever the emotion is and then how would you explain what you're feeling to an alien that doesn't have a body well mm-hmm. it's like i feel pressure on my chest i feel uh my there's some perspiration on my palms or whatever it is. And it's really, you can almost do that with the body too, of instead of I am my body and I am this feeling, and then your brain starts telling the story of why they they suck or whatever it is. If When you start to actually ask them, what does it feel like? It almost invites them to take that step back and like, oh, okay, what is happening in my body? What is my brain doing right now? So trying to have someone explain it to someone as if they were an alien is kind <laughs> of a is kind of a little trick I'll use to get to kind of invite someone to take that step back and observe what's going on within themselves.
1: I don't really want to derail this conversation uh right now, but I, I will I will let you know that since April, I have been doing this, imagining myself as an unembodied alien through this channeling podcast that I've been working on that has mm. like, I've noticed as, and I know I'm I like, I'm doing a performance. I make it very clear what I'm doing is a performance, but I I'm creating this character that observes things. And the more I do it, the that more of that psychological distance, that neutrality, I feel like I've created in myself. So that's really interesting mm. that that's what you suggest that people do. <laughs> mm uh that that wouldn't fit under the no-nonsense part of spirituality though <laughs> you know that, Vis- that might build some nonsense issues for you
0: yeah no i am all for visualization i'll do guided meditations where yeah. um you're a tree or i love union archetypes or dream work yeah. like i i think there's a space for all of those things it's just that separation of hey we're gonna do a guided meditation where you're going to imagine yourself as a tree and maybe there'll be some subconscious symbols that may be insightful to you but at the end of the day you' not a tree and i'm not going to force you to believe that you are a tree so that's yeah. the separation i'm yeah. okay like stories visuals um you know I'm, I'm a great reader and lover of text and so i play in all these spaces it's just i don't want you to have to require me to believe something in order for me to get the benefits of this practice yeah
1: i love that all right the next question i've got for you Brenda. okay spirituality is a healthy way of looking at the world
0: spirituality is a healthy way of looking at the world um yeah i don't think i've ever phrased it that way so i'll say it like this so i'm gonna say agree and because spirituality, the way I define it is connectedness. So connectedness to self and outside of self for some people that includes a divine for some people, it doesn't. Yeah. Um. For some people, it's just, you know, we are so interconnected that the higher power is essentially the connection of all of us. Mm-hmm. That's just, it, it's the idea. I really like the idea of like a bee and a hive, like to the, the bee is very small it lives 45 days it's almost meaningless by itself but the hive lasts for decades it mm. spreads across you know miles and miles it affects the ecosystem honey lasts forever we're still finding honey in egyptian tombs i love this idea of there's nothing there's nothing spooky or divine about a hive but in comparison to a bee yeah it's 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 kind of a higher power so i kind of like that so yeah, I do think it's healthy to, I'm going to approach life with trying to get deeper and deeper to connection to myself and to others, because that's really the antidote to meaninglessness and depression and all these yeah. things is is really being deeply connected to your authentic self and then deeply connected to the world around you. I mean, yeah. that's that's the antidote to nihilism.
1: I I love the way you answered that question and especially talking about the you know that that nihilistic depression that can really come when you you don't have meaning in the world and and you start thinking um there's no meaning and it's all bullshit and like that can be a really dark depressing path to go down and and the reason why I asked this question and all of these questions it is, is it's not that I think that there's like a right or a wrong answer to any of them. It's, I want to know how you see things. I want to mm-hmm. like, where are you at? And because what I'm looking for is that like, are you somebody right now that is able to create meaning in your life? Or are you suspicious of being mm-hmm. able to create meaning in your life? Or, or do you have these limiting beliefs that's preventing you because of these wounds that you talked about before that, that being triggered yeah. mm-hmm. that you just can't do it because if you, if like the word spirituality will mean something different to different people, if if you hear the word spirituality and you think back to some really abusive experience in religion that you've had, you're not going to think that it's a healthy way of looking at the world. And so, kind of, let's, let's get to it and unpack it here. But I really yeah, like that answer. It's, that you it's gave, been right?
0: enough, it's been enough time for me that I can, I can kind of give the answer that for I sure. gave, but I definitely um, relate to, you know, there's dark nights of the soul that I've been in that have been very nihilistic, um, when you're taking in a lot of truths that you just weren't really expecting of the universe. Right. Yeah. And, um, those can be really, really dark places. And then you get kind of this allergy to truth, allergy to spirituality, You just kind of have this reaction to it. And so this is why, um, I really try to be as safe as possible as a spiritual director and people will come to me simply because they know I'm never going to do any Jesus smuggling or God smuggling, which is that
2: Jesus
0: (laughs) smuggling is the phrase that atheists use for like, we're talking and you're going to do it somewhere. It's like in debates with, with believers, you're going to smuggle in Jesus in here somewhere. And they're always kind of like on edge for that. But if they know that I'm never going to do that to them, I have people who, um, will reach out to me and do coaching with me specifically because there's just like a tiny, tiny bit of trust to move forward with someone. Yeah. Whereas everyone else is just, you're just too suspicious to me. And I understand that it's very painful when, yeah. um when you lose your, when you have an existential crisis.
1: Yeah. Well, creating that safe space, that's, that's the single most important and most effective thing in any kind of like a coaching or therapeutic relationship. And And I think that might be you you mentioned earlier when you were talking about ex-Mormons that go or or Mormons that are going through a faith crisis that go to a non-Mormon therapist that just doesn't understand where they're coming from with it. I I personally think at this point that one of the reasons why it's difficult to gain that sense of safety and create that empathy is because the Mormon thinks because this person isn't Mormon, they can't understand me Hmm. because they don't recognize my symbols so they don't know what is going on where, where, what I think now is that a really good therapist will recognize that these symbols, it doesn't matter what the symbol is, what's on the other side of the symbol, what's it representing. But it's the, like, I, I had this experience years ago. I, I was writing, a i i studied folklore and I was writing mm-hmm. a, a dissertation on Mormon humor. And I interviewed a comedian that went to um he toured all, all around the country, but when he would come to Provo, I would ask him, what would you do differently in Provo? He's like, you know, that's an interesting question because I'll change a few things about my bit, but not much. But when I talk to Mormons afterwards, they, they seem to think that like their issues are unique and specific mm-hmm. to them. But mm-hmm. I go into the South, they, they're still, you know, like not dating at 16, yeah. like all these chest- it's not that weird, that, not that, that different.
0: Yeah, there is this thing that somehow Mormons, and this is, maybe this is our old thinking of just yeah. like, we're so special and peculiar and we're God's favorite, right. but it's almost like even afterwards, it's like, we have the monopoly of existential crisis. And it's yeah. like, <laughs> there's a reason that it's called midlife crisis. It's because right. like a lot of people go through this, like a lot of people, like, I don't know what my identity. Or I don't know what my beliefs are, or I'm raising kids, and I don't know how to ask their questions about God, like somehow Mormons think that like we're the only like we just we're the only ones there, and it's like no, there's a reason that it's called midlife crisis there's a reason that Dante's divine comedy a thousand years ago says, you know, midway on life's journey, I found myself lost like yeah. it's it's not it's not too uncommon of a human situation to be facing nihilism, to be facing, you know, that, that swing between order and, and chaos. We may have our own like unique language or therapists can do more to kind of understand why we may be hung up in certain places, but yeah, we're, we're all humans here. You know, we're not yeah. that peculiar. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. All right. Okay. Next question. Religion has an overall positive influence on the world?
0: I'm going to say disagree on this one. Is that
1: a slightly or strongly disagree?
0: I'm going to say slightly. Okay. Just to, yeah, I'm going to, I lean towards disagreeing, but I'm not so far that, you know, I, I listen to Christopher Hitchens a lot. He's just a really beautiful orator. I just really love hearing him speak. And, you know, he'll say that, you know, religions poison everything. It does, you know, it does nothing good. And and I'm not quite there, but uh, I definitely lean towards um, that this is something that we need to outgrow. This is mm. something that um, does more harm than good in getting to where we want to go. Um, and especially with the threat of fundamentalism, I just, one of the most sad things to me is the idea that we could blow up this planet that it's the only one that we know of that has life on it and that we would blow it up fighting over who's God and who's heaven is right. The idea, the absurdity of that, like literally makes me sick that we would do that. And I just, I do have a fear of, of fundamentalism when it comes to existential risk. Um, And I just think it's something I, I do and people may be surprised because again like I have a masters degree in theology I'll quote scripture I love doing psychological deep dives with different scripture stories I'll do all of that but uh I'm I'm doing that because there's tools and there's wisdom there that is useful that I'm drawing out but religion itself is something that I just think we need to outgrow it's time yeah. to outgrow this
1: yeah I, I, I used to feel more like that than I do now. Um, mm. And boy, and I, I don't think I even have time to unpack all of the reasons why I shifted, but the main the main influence on me was yuval harari and sapiens and yeah. kind of going back to the example that you gave earlier about the 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 bees in the hive and how there there are some forms of life on this planet that are just really well connected to socialize with each other and they're looking for each other's mutual benefit in the things that they do and humans aren't like that but when we have shared fictions and shared stories and shared meaning then we group together And like, if I look back at the history and, and so what, what sapiens made me do was kind of made me rethink the value that religion as a system of fictions has created in bringing people together. And yeah, there's definitely the part where you get a group of people together and they're like, we're right. And then another group's like, no, we're right. And then they go to to war over stupid shit like that. Mm -hmm. I think that's a problem, but the, But the the way of having like shared fictions, first of all, like you said before about objective reality. Every single person has a fictional view of objective reality. So
0: if you were to say that same question, but use the word myths instead of religion, Mm. that's where I would go. Like myths, like if we want to not do George Washington, the historical person, we're just going to tell kids about the cherry tree and be honest or whatever, or the the myth of money, the myth of America. I mean – the reason that we're able to create societies as humans is yeah, we're able to imagine together. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong about that. I think that that's really beautiful. It really separates us from the animal kingdom. We're able to build beautiful things together. I love all of that. I just, I'm willing to take the risk at this point in my, um, you know, and I, I may shift on this spectrum if we were to talk ten years later, but I'm willing to take the risk that I the risk that I think we can do this without um without religion or without God. Because and I'm just we don't have proof yet that we can. It may be that we really can't do this unless we have a shared God myth and a shared story and, you know, how religions have always done it. It's possible that that will come up to that hang up, but I'm willing to take that risk based on where we've been and where I think we could go.
1: Has has there ever really been, and, and I don't know the answer to this question. So this is a truly open question. Has there been a society that doesn't have religion that is really successful, and I yeah. I know people point to Norway, but I don't <laughs> I don't know if that's really the case or not.
0: The one, um, so when they someone asked Christopher Hitchens this in a debate, or someone like him, I I like to watch a lot of debates between atheists and and believers because you get to play out these arguments, right? It's yeah. I find I find debates really helpful. And they asked him this, and he said something to the effect of, well, if we believe that America has um, the most individual rights, it may not be the highest on the happiness scale or healthcare, all these things, but let's just say individual rights. The reason that it got there is because Thomas Jefferson was a deist, like maybe there's a creator, but certainly not a God that cares about this world. And he was insightful enough to say... Whatever government we're going to build, we need to not have God involved in order for this to work. He knew enough about history to go there. And so, you know, Thomas Paine, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, they're all kind of these deists where they didn't quite have enough science to say that they were atheists but they they truly believed we've got to be able to build this government without God in it. And so the only, there's only one, you know, the Constitution doesn't mention God. There's only one mention of God. I think it's in the Declaration of Bendons that he's, and it's just that it's a creator, right? It's not a God that's that's intimately um, connected. Now, of course, in America now, we're such a religious country and the Christian right is such a powerful political force. But if we want to look at how America Became what it is as far as individual rights and secular society and all these things. It was because we took God, out, we took God out of. The building of the government. Well, we and had so to
1: if we were we if we to. were rebelling against the king of England and his divine.
0: It's more sanction. Than, it's more than that, though. We were starting to fight amongst ourselves in yeah. states. So, like Methodist Presbyterians, they yeah. were all they were all fighting. Obviously, they all wanted to be the state religion, and eventually, like we can thank Thomas Jefferson for at least trying to put up a wall and say we're going to keep that out of this kind of society and government that we're trying to build. And there's such wisdom in that. And so it makes me sometimes laugh, sometimes get angry at the Christian right who will talk about, you know, this this nation was built by these founders who believed in God and we need to be a Christian nation. It's like they were trying to get away from that. Like they were trying to stop that from destroying the country. They were trying to build something that would last longer than the fights between Christian, you know, between Christian sects. Yeah. So
1: and, and that, all that, of that that's stuff.
0: that's somewhat of an argument. Like <laughs> America became successful because it tried to not become a theocracy.
1: Yeah. And and I I I think all, all of that stuff <laughs> The, the, the biggest question to me is, is is your heart like open towards other people or is it shut towards other people? Like, uh, do, do, do you care about everyone <laughs> or other people, or you only care about yourselves or the ones that fit this way? And like, to me, that's where we need to put more focus and attention. And it needs to happen at an early stage, like an early childhood development where, I, I don't know. Like, I think our whole system is just so messed up the way that it is to like point to just religion or something like that and say, that's the problem. Yeah. I, 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 I the reason I push back on it, I think so often as I do is I think it's just a simplistic way of like, okay, we're creating religion as the boogeyman. And then we go, let's, let's hunt down the boogeyman and take out the boogeyman. And I just don't think yeah. that's really.
0: The other, the other good argument, if I were arguing against myself is that, like you say, if we don't. The reason that I say outgrow religion and not get rid of it is that if we don't outgrow it, what happens in that vacuum when religion leaves is politics. So politics becomes the new religion. And even in something, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that, you know, the USSR was a secular state or an atheist state even. It's really what, it's what Nietzsche predicted when he said, I think God is dead And I think this is all just going to turn into like, whoever the czar is, is going to be God. And it's going to be worse than what religion did. Because at least with religion, you know, you have Jesus trying to, you've got some good Jesus stuff to hold it together. When you just have Lenin and Stalin, like that, that that tends to be worse. Mm. And so that's a good argument that, hey, if we don't outgrow this thing, if we don't recognize kind of what's happening in our own brains and our own history and all of that, then... Politics becoming religion may as well, may be worse. And that's a good argument, which is why I just really think the answer is we have to outgrow this, we have to recognize we do this with other things like we we recognize that if we were both to have a Snickers candy bar right now, some Halloween candy, our bodies, our ancient kind of paleolithic bodies will go, mm, sugar, I need more of this. I need more, 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 get more. And we all kind of know as a society, hey, our bodies do this because, you know, there used to be scarcity. And now when your body saying, I need more Snickers bars. It's like, we don't need to do this. Like we can outgrow this impulse that's old. And essentially I want to do the same thing with religion. Like, Hey, I understand the impulse to turn to a prophet, to answer all your problems. I understand the impulse to whatever the thing is that, that is helpful in religion. Um, Let's kind of outgrow some of these impulses and realize this is these are things built in our brains and our bodies from from older ways of being and we don't have to and meditation's part of that right we don't have to choose that that may not yeah. be the best way
1: yeah the De- developing that metacognitive ability to to observe what's coming up and and make choices on it is what you're talking instead of being like a slave to your own mm-hmm. biology mm-hmm. and neurology okay all right the next question i have for you mm. there is some kind of God or supreme intelligence in the universe?
0: Yeah, I'm going to say slightly disagree. All right. And that's just where I'm at right now.
2: Yeah,
0: I've probably studied the God question for about 20 years. Um, So much so that I just, I, I kept going deeper. I got to, I'm all but dissertation in my theology degree. I left it there because- um, Me I too, with my folklore degree. Yeah, I don't quite have the energy to push it over to push it over yet. Maybe I will someday, um, because if there was a God, or and if there was something we could know about God, it seems to me, it's kind of this question of what is reality, what is ultimate reality, that seemed to me to be the best question. Like, what other question to me personally, my you know my interest, what question could be more interesting and more important to study than that? So. I say that just that's where I am. Um, It just seems to me to be a better explanation that this is a projection based on our human psychological needs. Yeah. Um, Although I do, I do talk to other people who have very complex and very even scientific ways to work in the God thing. Um, I just don't, I don't find it convincing enough and i don't find it necessary and i my my personal belief is that when i take someone through their four existential fears right we're going to face your mortality we're going to face meaninglessness we're going to face that feeling of isolation we're going to face that fear of freedom that you are actually responsible for your life and you can't just like pick up a tarot card and that's going to explain everything like when we face those fears and we essentially grow to meet them i see people let go of god mm. i don't and not that they become an atheist and i'm sure there's no god but they at least don't need to know anymore yeah and i think that that's a big part of it i i think god is a lot of our our projections but again i've shifted many times on that path and that's just where i am right now i'm i'm resistant to the idea
1: yeah and i and i agree with you 100% that whatever somebody thinks is God or is a supreme intelligent universe is 100% their projection of it. And, and a fiction, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. the, the, the thing I'm curious about you, you, you mentioned earlier that there are groups of people or, or, oh, you were talking about the founding fathers that they didn't have enough science to know, or to, to be aware that there's not really a God really <laughs> i i I'd yeah. very much like so to see the science this, that, that yeah. proves that there's not a god right and so, so it- what
0: i mean by that is thomas <laughs> jefferson he was hiking somewhere and he was at he was in a place where there wasn't um any ocean around mm-hmm. and he was looking at kind of the rock sediment layers as one does apparently Um, And he, there was a couple layers where there were shells, like ocean kind of seashells. And he wrote in his journal that I don't understand how this is here Mm -hmm. enough to rule out that this is not a, you know, that that this is not a creator. This is before, this is really before evolution, right? So he's a deist. Mm
1: -hmm. He's
0: definitely anti-theist. Before Darwin, which took a little work, like we can give him credit for that, but there was enough little things like that that he couldn't explain that he just couldn't fully go to a deist essentially mm. um and and so yeah he he just he couldn't fully go there, but I think if he had you know Richard Dawkins now or all these other characters, I think if he were alive today, he would be an atheist, hmm. pretty strong one cuz yeah. he was he was pushing what atheist was which is you know before Darwin um pretty you know pretty far for that time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I again when I when I'm discussing these questions with you or with anybody else I I don't think there's like a right or a wrong answer. It's oh, it's yeah. always interesting no, to so see fun. like yeah, where so somebody fun. leans and especially this question of of God or supreme intelligence. If you're leaning one direction or the other, why? Like, what does Mm -hmm. that say about you? And and so what you're telling me, I'm just like, I'm resistant to it. I've seen too much abuse happen around this, this idea, too much angst. uh, And and it seems like it's the certainty that people carry when that certainty isn't really able to be supported with evidence that is kind of an issue. Am am I right about that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. The certainty obviously bothers me, but that's a whole kind of separate human psychological thing. What yeah. I see with gods is how most people view... um like the Greek gods and Mount Olympus, right? You can study that in eighth grade. And it's super fun and interesting because what the Greeks did is they kind of split up the entire human psyche and gave each part of the human psyche, a God, like a a name. And that's super interesting. Can you learn a lot from that, from Chiron and all these stories? There's some really deep psychological stuff going on that you can study all that archetypal stuff. Is that interesting? Is it a helpful tool? Yeah. But we all kind of recognize, oh, they did this. Like they did this, like this is obviously human projection, yeah, um, and then we outgrew it, right, and everyone is kind of there about most gods, like the majority of the gods, there's about um four hundred that are um or sorry four thousand that are on offer right now, and for most of them, people feel the way towards that God, the way that people feel about Greek gods, and mm. I'm just kind of there with all of them. Like one more, like you believe that about 399,000 gods or whatever, 3,999 gods. I'm kind of in that place for all of them.
1: Yeah. Okay. Just one more question on the God thing. And then we'll okay. move to the next one. You you talked about evolution. Do, do you think that evolution happens only on this planet? Or do you think that it happens, is like a universal constant?
0: Yeah, I'm okay with just, I don't know on this one. I'm okay with just You don't have a
1: you don't have a, an yeah. opinion one
0: I would, way or the other. Yeah, I would yeah, I would say I'm not um Yeah, I I'm I don't know enough to have an educated opinion. And so when I'm in that place, I just I'm okay with really just saying I don't know and that's mysterious. I love listening to Neil Tyson deGrasse. His is probably my favorite like science podcast. Yeah. And they'll ask him stuff all the time about aliens and all this stuff. And he just says, that's mysterious. I don't know. And I just love how he just like, he knows far more about science than I do. And he'll talk about, you know, I've heard all the theories about, um, why there's not life in the universe or why we haven't found life in the universe. And those are all interesting. I'll listen to that all day. I'll listen to him talk about that all day. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just, yeah, I, I just really leave that in, in I don't know, land. And do, I'm do okay you, with that.
1: Do, do you think you're truly neutral on that question?
0: Uh, you, like you no. really
1: don't know? Or are you leaning one way or the other on what you think is likely and probable?
0: Yeah. Um, I would say, yeah, that's such a good question. Yeah, I would say that I I really put that and I don't know truly. Now that doesn't mean I'm neutral because I'm going to have a lot of biases and the particular science podcast that I listen to, which tend to be this, you you know. So I wouldn't say that it's an unbiased, neutral um, thing. None of us are completely neutral really about anything. Yeah. But I would say that I truly put that and I don't know. And I'm okay. yeah, I'm really okay. I love love talking about it. I love the mystery about it. I love like, there's this theory that I heard the other day that was like the reason that we don't have life is because, or that we don't see life in the universe is because um, evolution, you know, in order for evolution to really take off, it really has to be this idea of like life at all costs, right? It's really violent. It's really in order to really get going. And so maybe- you know, the kind of life that's really going to make it in the universe has to be that strong, has to be that violent, has to take over. You know, we have to have Rome and, and all these things like this. And so then what happens is that all these societies will eventually self-implode and eat themselves up and blow themselves up in some way. And so- his theory was that there is life in the universe, but it's like these little glimpses of light across the universe that start and then blow up. And I'll listen to those all day. And I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm really okay with just saying, wow, I don't know, but that was really interesting. And science is, I, I, I like to listen to it. I get into it more, but I've just always been kind of a history English that's kind of always been my leaning to, so I try not to get into scientific depths that I'm just really not qualified yeah. to.
1: I, I'm I'm really excited for the the sapiens version of history that starts from us as being single celled organisms all the way up through all of our evolutionary states up to humans. Not just that starts once we're humans or whatever Mm. homo sapien or something Mm. like that because the the dna that we're carrying around goes all the way back to the the first forms of life on this planet and and the the times that we're talking about like when you're saying we need something like rome or whatever like for for single-celled organisms that are deciding do i group together with other cells for safety and create a multicellular organism like that happened that takes so long over so much time but, but that, the- that
0: sapience piece gives you a little bit of the magic left, just a little bit of the magic again, when you're in kind of a nihilistic space of like the idea that like you have that long of a history behind right. you. Um, and you're just like this ancient story and you're in this <laughs> chapter of this ancient story. Like that's where like, you know, religion has some magic in it and it's in its stories, but that story is pretty magical too.
1: Yeah, that you could cut open any living thing on the planet, and you're going to see similarities between them, because they all grew out Mm. of the same thing. And I also like to think of
0: stories like, like, if I'm this chapter of this history of this kind of life form, right, parents, 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 all the way back to the beginning of whatever, Um, you know, how am I going to write this chapter of the story, you know, that that becomes really exciting, instead of like, nothing matters, you know. You're, you're part of a long story. How do you want to end that story? How do you want to write that part of that chapter that you're in charge of?
1: Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to skip through some of these questions because there's a lot of them and we're, we're taking a long time on each and one, I'm, which is awesome. I love it. Yes, <laughs>
0: I am very verbose.
1: Oh, it's fantastic.
0: I, I never say one word when 10 will suffice.
1: Well, actually, I will go to the next question because th- this one can... can it could be interesting. Miracles happen on a daily basis.
0: Ooh, I'm going to say strongly disagree. You're going to bring out my strongly disagree on that one.
1: (laughs) Okay. So, so, so tell me, why do you strongly disagree with that?
0: Yeah, I just, I'm really resistant to that. Our brains are such pattern seeking machines Mm -hmm. um, that I'm just really resistant to the idea that that there are miracles, because we just it it's just too hard to prove and so easy to do because of how our brains see things, and so you know you take someone like Mother Teresa, and in order to have sainthood, you have to have two miracles, right, so the Catholic Church is looking through all of her history to find two miracles that can give her sainthood and um there's a woman who claims that she had a a picture of Mother Teresa and she put it on her tumor and the tumor went away. And all of the doctors said, you know, this is the treatment that we did. This was the kind of tumor it was. This is how we treated it. This is how I got better. And um, we have like, Really clear science on how that tumor went away, but because she had the picture of Mother Teresa, she put it on the tumor. She swears that it, it went away um, because she said her name. The Catholic Church counts it counts it as a miracle. It's one of the two miracles needed. Now she's a saint, mm. and I'm just, I'm just so, I'm just so over it. We just, mm. I'm just over it. I'm, it's just too easy to do we just see patterns everywhere. And it's not just religious. I get into this with the new age people too. So I have my beefs with the new age spiritual people too, which is like you draw a card and it's a card of a Phoenix. And you ask yourself what in you has to die in order for something else to come to life. That is a brilliant question. That is a beautiful question to explore. There are many stories and archetypes and ways to go about that question, but then they make the move of like, Oh, the universe really knew that I needed this question today because this thing is going on in my life. And it's like, well, you really primed your brain to think that because it's it's looking for a pattern. It's looking for meaning. It's going to create it wherever it sees it. When you give it an opportunity to to put a pattern together, your brain will do it without kind of your knowledge of it. It's just what our brains do. And so I I've spent enough time with people of faith and studying religions and studying these miracles that I'm just very, very skeptical of the miracle game at this point.
1: Okay. So so how would you define miracle from the way that you're, you're talking uh, about it? Yes, here?
0: suspending the laws of nature.
1: Okay. So, so you mentioned placebo uh, earlier, and there's definitely times where people are miraculously, to use that word, quote unquote, healed in ways that western medicine can't explain doesn't understand what would what would what's your explanation for those kinds of healings
0: yeah so for example like touching each other's bodies is really healing like we have we're deeply tribal people and touching each other and having hope for each other praying over each other all these things you can actually show you know whether or not it's a placebo really depends on your belief, but you can show that people get better. And so what I want to do again, with my approach with no nonsense spirituality is, okay, what is the tool? The tool is when you get your loved ones together and they touch your body and they say words of hope and they show you love and they show you that we're going to get the, we're going to get through this. And they, um, again, like, like, in whatever ritual it is where you're touching bodies in some way, because we're this because we're primates, essentially, it does quote unquote work now, does that mean I have to believe that your prayer is the real prayer to the right God? No, does that mean I have to believe that energy frequency vibration from mars and whatever do i have to go that route no those are truth claims that are lying on top of the tool and so again my question is how can we get the tool without getting into claims about ultimate reality that we don't know about
1: okay so so the So you're saying that the healing happens there because there's a real physiological healing that happens because we're social animals and touch can do that. Um, But but basically you're saying, I'll I'll ask you this, Hmm. would, would you agree then that if there is a healing that takes place, it's for very like rational, natural causes, we just might not know what they are. Yeah. and so to 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 take that mystery and then say, oh, it's because I pulled this card, or because mm-hmm. a belief in this God did it, or whatever, like that. That's missing the mark. That's more kind of childish. That's nonsense. Whereas, it's not
0: necessarily childish. It's just kind of what's kind of covering the tool, right? Or it's, or well, it's the reason this, I said childish is because
1: you've said a lot of times about like outgrowing, like yeah. like outgrowing this belief. It's kind of like a childish belief, but you don't you don't think that it's childish
0: uh yeah it depends i think some are more childish than others right mm. so so um there are some forms of prayer for example where it's just you know you you wish for something and because you're the right kind of god and you say the right kind of words then you get healed but then if you know it's, there's there's just some there's some practices that i think are are more easy to spot than others like that obviously seems kind of bs Um, But there's some that the tool is wrapped into the ritual. And so it's a little bit more hard to tease out what's really going on here. But I think when you do this enough times with enough rituals and practices and studying this across history, that as you begin to kind of tease these things apart, you can see, oh, it, it seems like When people are doing this, even though they have different stories about it, that people report feeling better. There's something Mm -hmm. here going on. Now we may not know, I'm not so like scientifically knowledgeable or prideful that we know all of those things. There's tons that we're still learning about the body. I mean, even just how the body holds trauma, like this is all new science for us. But I do think that there always is an explanation, even if we don't know it. And that whatever story that we made that's wrapped up with the helpful tool um, is not does not mean that we have ultimate reality, right? Does not mean that your prayer to your God and you got better, therefore that God must be quote unquote true. I I I just don't like how that gets
1: pulled into it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you on that. Okay. Well, let's do one more and then we'll push okay. pause for today. And you want to do this again another time? Yeah, I'd love right? to. And this continue? is lovely. Be awesome. I'd Usually love
0: I'm interviewing other people. So it's kind of nice to like, okay, here's hey. what I think about this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. Um, so so the last one for today, and it's related to the last question about miracles. People who believe in miracles are setting themselves up for trouble.
0: Hmm. People who believe in miracles. Yeah, I'm going to agree. Because um, the, what I would put in the, in the category of trouble there is that if you believe in miracles, there'll be a time in your life sometime when you're in need of a miracle and it's not going to happen, and that's going to be really painful, and you're not going to have the resources to deal with that. And you see this all the time with religious people who fast and pray, and we're doing all the right things, and their child dies. And they have a deep crisis about that, deep crisis about that. And there's a couple ways that that goes. That's either, well, God is so mysterious that God apparently wanted my child to die in this tragic, long you know, child cancer way, which is like, ooh, that feels kind of icky. And then, you know, or there's like, I'm going to kind of deconstruct this because there's something I must not have been understanding here, or there's something about me that's broken and wrong. And all of that just sounds like really hard stuff that we can avoid by just not setting ourselves up for that. Um, Because that's just a really shameful game to play when you ask for that miracle, and it doesn't happen. And you're like, well, I guess I'm not worthy in some way. And yeah, that really oh sucks. Gosh. And that Jeez. really sucks.
1: Yeah, my, my my best friend growing up was uh, in a wheelchair. I've done a couple episodes about him on Infants on Thrones. So some listeners might know who I'm talking about. But he, he was in a wheelchair growing up um, from an airplane accident when he was five years old. And he got a blessing from President Kimball because they were friends of the family and told him that he would run and walk again with other children. He was five years old. And so he believed it. And every morning he'd wake up hoping that he could feel his legs again. He'd go to sleep every night praying, Oh, it's tomorrow the day. And, and he kept feeling like when he would wake up and his legs weren't healed, what's wrong with me? Am I doing something wrong? Am I not worthy? And that like dogged him for his entire life. Anyway. That just,
0: that breaks my heart. That just breaks my heart. Because eventually when you start believing in miracles, um, you'll start realizing why, why didn't God show up for me here? Mm. And, and that, that is a hard pill to swallow and pain that I think, you know, there's some pains in the human course of life that are unavoidable. You're going to get your heart broken that, you know, all kinds of things are going to happen. There's, and there's hard things that end up being good for you and your character. But I would put that, that whole thing into unnecessary pain. That's pain that didn't, that he was already dealing with that, with his legs. That was unnecessary pain on top of that, that could have been avoided. And I'm really all about like, how can we get rid of all of this unnecessary pain that's wrapped up in religion? It's just not, that's making life harder than it needs to be. And it's already hard.
1: Yeah. I, 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 I don't want to pre- sound presumptuous, Britt, but I think I figured out a way to get rid of the pain without getting rid of the other stuff, but it's very personal to, to me. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. something that's scalable to, to everyone that will create uh systems and like new non-religious religions <laughs> out of it or anything. Um, and, and I, I kind of, um, lied a little bit. I am going to ask you one more question from this survey, but okay. I want this to be the lie, one that we like. Lie yeah, aloud. I'll, 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 I'll lie a little bit, but this is the, I also kind of want this to be the first one that we pick up on next time so that okay. you've got some time to think about it. This is an intentionally vaguely worded question. Okay. Thoughts create reality.
0: Mm. Okay. We'll riff on this next time. There's a lot of places that you and I could what, go next time. What,
1: what What's your initial thought on this before we uh, wrap it up? My
0: initial thought is I tend to agree. Mm. Uh, I've done some training and thought work
1: mm-hmm.
0: and thought work is the idea in this space, it'd be more of a psychological tool where here's the scenario here's the feeling here's the thought here's the result of what i do when i have this thought mm-hmm. and essentially going over to this is the new thought this is the thought that i want to think mm-hmm. and then it's going to take you somewhere else and so yeah i i think it's very clear that when We think that when we look out, we are just seeing things as they are. Mm -hmm. And the more we learn, we're realizing that our brains are creating the reality that we see in real time. So we really can't tell the difference. And so I'm very okay with the idea that we're not seeing ultimate reality, that we're creating, that we're seeing patterns, we're creating things, we're seeing things as our brain wants to see them, we hear things the way our brains want to hear them, our thoughts direct us and really... um, put a framework onto however we are interpreting reality. I'm okay with yeah. with accepting all of that and I'm okay with working through that. Some of some of those places can lead you into nihilistic places where you don't mm. feel like you have free will. Um and I've worked with people in some of those places where you um have to kind of make sense of that. Yeah. But I'm okay. I'm okay uh you know just at first glance at that question saying that I'm I lean cool. towards that. Yeah.
1: Well, I I got to say, I I kind of expected. See, because when I when I asked that question and I worded it vaguely intentionally, because there will be people that respond to it like, no, because my th- I didn't think that mountain into existence. It's there, hmm. you know. I didn't I didn't think that thing. Thoughts don't create reality. The world, like thoughts, don't create mm-hmm. objective reality. You know, something like that. And then they kind of argue from that while missing the part that you were talking about about like how our experience of reality, the way we perceive reality it's all filtered through our mind and if if you take a very general definition of what a thought is as like the 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 mechanical action of neurons firing whatever this happening in our brain everything we experience is that mm-hmm. <laughs> like there is no reality there's no experience of reality without yeah. those things and they form such an I'll important filter you.
0: yeah I'll leave it at that. I'll leave. I'll leave with this thing. I, maybe I shouldn't leave it here, but I want to say this. Yeah. Um. Because we've just had such a deep discussion. The the most scary thought that I had, like mm-hmm. the deepest hole of nihilism that I've ever experienced, it was when. So I I had lost faith in God. I had kind of lost sense of free will and identity in there, too, and I had this idea that. Um, if you, we were to do a thought experiment, I like to play in philosophy a little bit and do thought experiments. So if we were to do a thought experiment and, um, we were to put you in a, in a suit, a robot suit and the robot's doing whatever it's doing and you don't have any control over the robot. And the robot is actually quite violent. Like, In order for the robot to live, it has to kill conscious creatures in order to survive. Mm. And you're just going to watch it be violent.
1: Mm. Would you
0: consent to live inside that robot? Mm. And so most people will say no. But where I was in that kind of phase of nihilism was, I think that's what's going on here. Mm. Like I think we are like the evolution and the lack of free will and the there's no ultimate reality outside of the thoughts that I'm creating and I can't see outside of that it it can get a little scary but again I with all of these problems no matter how big and scary that they are you kind of grow to meet it so I have to build a life that is meaningful enough to meet that scary dragon yeah. i have to build a life that Makes sense and is existentially good enough for me to exist in, in order to meet that level of kind of a nihilistic thought. And so, I do think if you have people that can hold you in that space, or you have someone you can talk to in that space, that you can. I call them dragons because that's what Leo Tolstoy called them. He he had the sense of nihilism gnawing at him. And for about four years, he wouldn't allow any ropes in his house for fear that he would commit suicide. These oh, were really scary. Jeez. But he eventually grew to like face them, grew to meet them, changed things in his life so that life was more worth living and that he could justify his existence more. So I do think that these monsters that our brains try to protect us from- uh, are conquerable. Yeah. Um, I do think it's hard, but I do think it's a really, really meaningful and beautiful and authentic path that, you know, I've I've gone through, and now I enjoy helping other people go through. So that would yeah. be some of the work. That I love I do. that.
1: I love that analogy of the robot, like living inside of the robot that you can't really control. But but I think what I heard you say at the end there was that we can actually learn how to control the robot. And it's kind of that process we talked about earlier about like observing your thoughts instead of just like doing whatever comes to you. Yeah, automatically. it's gonna
0: it's gonna force you to a new level of freedom and it's gonna force you yeah. to really get focused on what kind of life is worth living. And um that that's a painful process. You're gonna have to shed a lot of things. Yeah. But if you can go if you can go through that process um, there's a really beautiful kind of life on the other side that I, that I try to at least give people hope for.
1: Right on. Well, thanks for doing this, Britt. We'll, we'll this do this so again lovely. soon. Yeah. We'll have fun and enjoy it. Um, and, and, and for, for any listeners who want to find you, where can they go yeah. to find you again?
0: Yeah. So my website is no-nonsensespirituality nononsensespirituality.com. You can um, sign up right there for coaching if you want to do some spiritual exploration with me. Um, I also have a course on that website that I'm super proud of. It's called Spiritual Reconstruction. So if you feel like you have already done kind of the spiritual deconstruction, like that house has kind of come down for you um, and you're in the space where you're like, okay, what's next? There's um, 10 kind of pieces that I do to kind of give you a map on, okay, let's rebuild together. So it would be rituals, death, morality and ethics, your sacred story, um, meaning and purpose, shadow and inner child work. On transcendence, community, and inspiration, ordering chaos, we touched on some of these things just because they 're always on my mind anyway that sounds um, like
1: um a, a, an episode for each one of those things oh i but could easily i could easily around, yeah. I could
0: easily do one on <laughs> each, but essentially, I would break it down because of course, not everybody has like i don 't know how many thousands of hours of podcasts and how right. many books you've read and all these things i 'm breaking it down into a, okay like rituals. You probably have boxes of rituals from your family and you're going to have, let's go through them together. What do you think about Christmas? How can you mm. meet this um, holiday authentically? What, what rituals do you want to let go of? Which ones do you want to kind of tweak and make your own? Which ones do you still like? And so it's essentially going through each one and like, like a map and say, okay, what does this look like for you? There are seven kinds of contemplation practices. Just do any of these kind of strike you more than others, which, and so it's really just instead of kind of blindly putting together your spiritual home piece by piece, which I feel like is what I did. It's more of a template. Like here's, here's some options for a fireplace, which one do you like? Okay, fireplace is done. And it will essentially kind of speed up that process of rebuilding your spiritual home. It's essentially what I would do in like a year with a client, Mm -hmm. um, kind of done, put together in one course that you can do on your own time and kind of journal through. Um, It has workbooks and things like that. And I'm really proud of it. So if I'm speaking to you in any way and you feel like you're in that place, the what's next place after deconstruction, Um, I'm really proud. It took me a year to put together, and I'm really proud of this course that I put together, and that's available on my website too. So thank you.
1: All right. All right, well, we'll schedule another time. We'll do this again soon.
2: Awesome. So good to talk, Glenn.
1: Thanks, Britt.
2: Yep. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Lay down the weapons that you use against the world. We don't need another war. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. Hi,
1: this is Hillary, Matthew, Carol, Ashley. And I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones.
2: You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes.
1: I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer?
2: My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes. And take a breath Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts float past me Never mind the future, never mind what the past be I like to jump and let the universe catch me Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me I keep my pockets light, destination in sight Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights I'm walking past the fight, laying down on something night Choosing love when I pick up this much